This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, thanks so much for being here with us on this Tuesday, uh, excuse me, Wednesday edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Seema Verma is going to be joining us shortly. She's the administrator for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. Man, is there a lot of pressure on her shoulders? Big news yesterday about insulin coming down to normal prices or much more feasible, uh, obtainable uh, um I guess, palatable prices, and she's going to be talking about that as well as uh, what's going to be happening here for seniors in these nursing homes, how they've been devastated, especially in New York, uh, by putting coronavirus-positive patients back into the, the facility and being like IEDs. At 945, Jake Steinfeld, how to get your mindset right, your fitness at its optimum as you get set to re-enter the workforce, re-enter life, go to a bar, go to a restaurant, go to the beach, and be able to go to a snack bar how to get your head on, and how to get out maybe out of the doldrums of being locked inside. Jake Steinfeld is going to be joining us shortly, and we'll be, of course, taking your calls at one 408 So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I hope he releases these calls. This one phone call has been the excuse that the Obama administration, that the intelligence chiefs, that the media have used as the sort of fulcrum of the whole Russia probe. Yep, that is KT McFarlane. She was Michael Flynn's deputy as he fights for justice. Uh, we are now on the door. We are now on the doorstep of learning exactly what was said on the calls with the Russian ambassador, which resulted in the collapse of Flynn's finances, career, and reputation. Number two. Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or? Trump, and you ain't black. I cringed, no question about that. In this instance, uh, Joe did not do as well as I had hoped in responding. Oh, really? Presidential politics. As Biden's MVP rebukes Joe's comments on black voters and the president test drives a new re-election theme and most loyal supporters express to him some alarm in battleground states. Number one. We are in transition And we are pivoting now towards reopening. The curves are flattening and they're adjusting downwards. This is great news. It's driving the stock market up. And that's an economist speaking. Uh, Economic comeback begins state by state. There are signs of hope and perhaps hype. We will bring you the state's stories and the numbers behind the optimism. Most of all, do you feel it? I want to get your take. Uh, Keep in mind, too, I'm never forgetting 97,000 people lost their lives. I know we're going to go over 100,000. I get it. But if you do the stats on how this coronavirus slammed into this country through Europe and through China, but starting in China on the West Coast, and then, of course, they infected Europe and Europeans come here. We even know it. December, January, February, things were blowing up. People were carrying. They were asymptomatic and they were hitting the most susceptible, the most vulnerable in our country. We get it. But we do know, too, the more testing we do, the more we realize that you survived this. Instead of Anthony Fauci coming out and saying, well, one percent will die and that's a lot more than uh, much more than the flu. Now we look at, well, 0.3% die. That's 99.7% will not die from this, from what we know of this virus. So I am not sure the best answer to this is to shut down a country. 
let the historians or those um, uh, experts look at it now because if we get hit with the second wave, I'm telling you right now, most American people are not shutting down. And if you are a salon owner, a dry cleaner, a sporting goods store, and someone comes up to me and says it's over, shut down again, they're not shutting down. Restaurants are going to shut down. And then what are you going to do as governor? And you're going to make the police force do it? I don't see it. So let's talk about the comeback. So Jason Furman writes yesterday, he's a top economist with the Obama administration, now a Harvard professor. He told a bipartisan group the other day, a policymakers, quote, we are about to see the best economic data we've seen in the history of this country. And Democrats should begin to panic. These are my words. The claims may seem counterintuitive and seem to make you think good about yourselves. But if you're a Biden supporter, if you're a Democrat, that's not good news. Now, it should be good news because you care about the country and you could say the country's coming back, but I would have done a better job in the pandemic. And I would have, I don't know what you're going to come up with in the economics, because in economics, the president's six out of 6.5 of every American says he's done good on the economy. But Joe Biden uh, dismisses that. Uh, he came out and said, even if everything turns around, I don't think it'll be, it'll be a problem. Cut three. The surge is relative. <laughs> so if you're losing tens of millions of jobs, and we're well over 30, millions and millions of jobs, and you gain back a quarter of that or half of that, it's going to look like there's real growth. But you're still going to end up, as all the economists say, with an incredibly high unemployment rate and a lot of people in real trouble. But the thing is, it's a natural disaster, like a hurricane, like a flood. People don't hold that against the leader through response. Now, as we move more and more against, well, who should have known earlier? And every time you say the president should have known earlier, I'll give you an Anthony Fauci. Every time you say the president should have uh, helped out New York more, I'll give you Governor Cuomo. Don't worry about it. Or Mayor de Blasio saying, make sure you party for the Chinese newspaper for the Chinese New Year because they can't. And for uh, every person that says the uh, president could act quicker. Yeah, in retrospect, there's a lot of things that could have happened. I mean, Pearl Harbor could have been avoided if FDR paid more attention to what was going on inside Japan and really looked at that. To their, in their view, they had no choice. But as we move away from this and go to the recovery and then the testing and the ventilators are no longer an issue. I'm not saying they're no longer, but they're almost in our rearview mirror as we flood the zone and PPE is no longer a problem. And then all of a sudden your job's coming back and your restaurant's thriving again. It's going to be October, November, and it could be a totally different situation. However, on the flip side, David Bossie and Corey Lewandowski went and visited the president. Senior advisor of the president touched implicitly, played a vital role in the president's election. And they told him, Mr. President, you're having problems in battleground states, especially Florida and Arizona. The president was so alarmed, he called those directors in and said, what's going on there? They said, well, Mr. President, uh, Senator McSally is in trouble. And you won by four points. Biden's beating you now. And in Florida, it's very, very close. Now, he's got a Republican governor there, and he's got some assets in Arizona. But Arizona's been getting tougher and tougher for Republicans anyway. So I think the president had to hear some news. So the president's come out with, instead of make America great again, he's come out with a different, um, um, a, a different, I guess, catchphrase. Uh, and it is transition to greatness. The Atlantic writes this and says transition to greatness. It says Trump's new campaign slogan is a confession of failure. Transition to greatness is a corporate style euphemism that tries to spin a collapse as a success. Number one, I don't even know what that means. Number two is the word transition isn't necessarily a Madison Avenue term. That's fine. But transition to greatness out of the pandemic is true. 
make, uh, keep America great after you drop 30 million jobs and uh, 6% of your economy, that doesn't work either. So the president's making a pivot. What do you think about that? So they both have challenges. But the main challenge uh, with the president is doing things like what's gotten with Joe Scarborough. He's got to get out of his own way. Who cares about Joe Scarborough and what happened uh, all those years ago when he was a congressman with the tragedy of this 29-year-old losing her life? Why the president keeps bringing it up is beyond me. It makes no sense. And Joe Biden uh, is trying to talk his way out of the disaster, which is his interview with that, uh, the Breakfast Club um, and, uh, and that talk show host. And he's out there trying to establish uh, well, or try to explain away why he said what he said. Remember, he came out and said, uh, if, you, uh, if you're not voting for me, you ain't black. Remember? Well, now he said this about the radio host. Cut 26. It was a mistake, number one. And I was smiling when he asked me the question. I was, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have been such a wise guy with him. He was being a wise guy, and I responded kind. I shouldn't have done that. It was a mistake. Number one. But number one, he wasn't being a wise guy. That's the way he is. I'm not a, an aficionado on his show, but every time I see him, he's very direct with that. And his immediate follow-up after was not a wise guy answer. He wasn't being a wise guy. The guy's got no temperament. How many times we watch him lose it on the stump? He's telling people not to vote for him, yelling back at people, call another guy fat. And oh, this guy challenged him, and he said, I got to run. And he said, yeah, if you ain't voting for me, you ain't black. Now, among the people that can't explain that away is Congressman James Clyburn, who literally gave Joe Biden the nomination he did not deserve. 27. I cringed. No question about that. In this instance, uh, Joe uh, did not um, uh, do as well as I had hoped in responding. But I will say this. I go about my business every day comparing Joe Biden to the alternative not the almighty. And he's, uh, he's an alternative, all right. But I just can't believe now, uh, after that comment, he's going to almost be forced to go. He comment, he put himself into a corner by saying, I need a woman. You should just say, I'm going to get the best person possible. Number two, then he said, um, I'm interviewing three African-American women. They're all great candidates. It's Kamala Harris, Val Demings, and, um, and Stacey Abrams. Okay. After that comment, I think he's got to pick one of those three or open up the expanded even more. Outside Michelle Obama, uh, Kamala Harris got huge downside. And I think she's a terrible candidate, extremely bright, terrible candidate. Uh, Stacey Abrams is a state legislator. Really? She's going to be the heir apparent, the next president, when this guy's lucky to get through one term if he wins, let alone two? And then Val Demings, I don't know, she wowed you? I've watched her ask questions. I mean... That's hardly the next, you know, the next coming of, I don't know, none of them compare to uh, like about 10 candidates on the Republican side from Senator Marco Rubio to, uh, to Ambassador Haley to Tom Cotton to even a Lindsey Graham. What do you think? one 408 7669 we come back, Seema Verma joins us. She talks about how close we are to a therapy. What about our seniors? And what we can expect. If you have somebody in your life that has insulin... They have a way to get it cheaper. She'll be joining us next. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Today I'm proud to announce that we have reached a breakthrough agreement to dramatically slash the out-of-pocket cost of insulin. That's a big deal. Participating plans will cap costs at just $35 a month per type of insulin, and some plans may offer it free. Wow, uh, that is uh, big news. For those people with diabetes or whatever reason need insulin, that is huge news. Uh, Seema Verma joins us now, Administrator for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, to expand on this. Seema, uh, congratulations on doing this. It means a lot to so many people. Politics aside, you couldn't care less about the politics of it. But how did you do it, and why now does that work? Well, I appreciate that, uh, Brian. You know, this is a, a really massive step in the president's efforts to lower drug pricing. Um, we know that there's been just a lot of regulatory barriers. Um, we, we had hoped that Congress would take action, but because they didn't, we didn't want to wait, and we wanted to do everything we could to lower prices. So essentially what we've done is get rid of an Obamacare uh, provision that prevents plans from lowering out-of-pocket um, costs for seniors. And it essentially allows them to do this and also the manufacturers to increase their discounts for patients. So, uh, so it means, how, who pays this then? Do the companies that are selling get less, or does the government come in and subsidize? It's a couple of different things, and the government actually is going to save money from this. That's the beauty of this. I think it's a win-win all around. Um, the manufacturers are voluntarily agreeing to provide more of a discount, and the plans are essentially taking these discounts and applying them directly to reduce out-of-pocket expenses for a senior. So it's a combination of both the manufacturers and the plans. And that's why it was a really delicate negotiation to bring both of these parties together. As you know, there's been a lot of finger pointing over the years, but both the manufacturers, all three, so that's Lilly, uh, Norvo Nordisk, and Sanofi, they're the major manufacturers of insulin in the world. And they agreed to, to essentially provide increased discounts and the health plans, and we had all the big ones. We had about 88 health plans, Humana, United, 
um, all of these guys agreed to basically, um, you know, provide lower out-of-pocket expenses. So it's a really, I think it's a historic step for the administration and for drug pricing because it shows that, you know, the private market can work when the incentives are appropriately aligned. You know, uh, one of the things that comes is pretty clear is that um, uh, nursing homes, when it comes to this uh, coronavirus, have been in the line of fire like no other group, uh, and seniors in particular. Uh, for those with underlying conditions, what often happens when you get older. Um, here's what uh, Governor Cuomo said, because his state's been hardest hit uh, and been de- devastatingly short when it comes to serving the nursing homes in this area. I think 40 percent of all the deaths happen in nursing homes. Listen to what he said. What New York did was follow what the Republican administration said to do. That's not my attempt to politicize it. You can't save everyone. You're going to lose people. That's life. That nursing home should have referred that patient and should have told the Department of Health, I can't handle these patients. Now, when the Department of Health takes Bernadette, they no longer get paid for Bernadette. Oh, money. We have been helping them with more PPE, but again, it's not our job. So that's some of his excuses why why nursing homes have been devastated. Was that the CDC, the Trump administration's uh, charter to put seniors who test positive of COVID-19 back into the facility? Absolutely not. Um, I think President Trump took very early action when it came to nursing homes. We prohibited visitors. We put out guidance to the nursing homes and to states. And we had a call to action around states really focusing on their, on their nursing homes because we knew that they were the most vulnerable. The issue that the governor is bringing up, which I disagree with, is that, you know, somehow federal guidance said that you should put people who are COVID positive in a nursing home. And let me explain that a little further. What we say is that, yes, a nursing home will have COVID-positive people in the nursing home. And if somebody's coming out from a hospital, they can if they are prepared to handle the unique needs of that patient. So the guidelines require them to isolate the patient. It has to make sure that they're they're appropriately staffed. Uh, Anytime you discharge a patient from the hospital, it is the responsibility of the hospital to make sure that the patient is going to be safe when they discharge them, so if they're going home or if they're going to a nursing home. One of the things the federal government also said was, look, hospitals, you know, if you can't find a place to discharge them, you can keep them in the hospital. We'll pay for uh, that patient to stay in the hospital. We'll pay as if they were in the nursing home. So under no circumstances should a hospital discharge a patient to a nursing home. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Home that's not prepared to take care of those patients' needs. The federal guidelines are absolutely clear about this. I can tell you that yeah, other states, 
Uh, other states didn't take that action. You know, if you look at Governor Newsom in California, he actually used the Navy ships and put patients that were COVID-free on the ships because he knew the importance of isolating patients. Uh, we've seen other governors set up COVID-positive facilities so that they weren't intermingling the patients that were positive and those that were negative. Um, you know, some facilities have the capacity, they have a separate wing or they have more, a better way of isolating the patients. But if they can't do that, you shouldn't be mixing the patients. So I, you must be almost uh, offended by that because you said, yeah, let them out to save the bed. But if they're positive and you can't isolate them, by no means put them back in the facility. And to not take the blame on that is unbelievable or at least acknowledge it. He'll be at the White House today, uh, Seema. Work your way to the Oval Office and let him know. Uh, because I think you just did. Seema Verma, thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. Good to be here this morning. one 866 We'll take your calls. Are you feeling the economic comeback yet? Back with you. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I hope he releases these calls. This one phone call has been the excuse that the Obama administration, that the intelligence chiefs, that the media have used as this sort of fulcrum of the whole Russia probe, which I think was a total fraud from the beginning. And if we find out what's in that transcript, then let the American people decide. I've never seen that transcript. I talked to General Flynn right before he talked to the Russian ambassador and right afterwards. But I, unlike several Washington Post journalists, Mm -hmm. I've never seen a transcript of it. So Katie McFarland, former deputy general Flynn, they both got blown out through controversies. Doesn't look like through any fault of their own. But what she's talking about is the release, possibly, that Rick Grinnell engineered that John Ratcliffe would ultimately decide on of all the Flynn calls with Kislyak. Now, I, I asked, uh, I asked Doug Collins, would it change your mind at all if in this call Flynn says to Kislyak, guys, don't overreact to the expulsion of these diplomats during the Obama years, during the last month of Obama. We're going to reset things and have this conversation when we take charge. We just don't want any rash behaviors, so we're up against the wall when I take over. If that was in the phone call, would it matter? And they said no. And why should it matter? I can't tell you. I could just imagine what the conversations were like with Benjamin Netanyahu, who hated Obama and vice versa. Well, guess who's best friends with Netanyahu? Donald Trump. You know he was saying, hey, guys, when I take over Israel, we're moving that embassy. We're going to have great relations. I don't care about these other Middle East partners. I know you're the best friend we've ever had. So that doesn't bother me at all. Here is Doug Collins this morning on Fox and Friends. Cut 34. I think what we've got here, though, is this was not about a conversation. This was about getting at a president. Let's make this very clear. The, the whole investigation was centered around if we can get Flynn or we can get others to either lie or to, to do something, then we can get it President Trump, then candidate Trump. This was all about power and making sure that President Trump's administration did not get off on the right foot. I think so. Maybe. I also think it could be about getting Flynn because they really disliked him. I am not sure yet. I'm not sure how that goes. But Rick Grinnell did a sensational job when he was there in the acting role. He does not want it full time. Now John Redcliffe has it full time. So before he left, he declassified a slew of Russia probe files. I don't know what they are, but they're going to be relevant and people could choose to ignore them. But it's going to be so overwhelming you can't ignore them. Here's why. 
The number one story for the last first two and a half years of the president's presidency was the Mueller report and Russia interference in the election and how Donald Trump colluded with the Russians. Didn't happen. Now we know it. Now they want to move on. Now, not only do we ready to move on, uh, not ready to move on, we want to find out why this this whole thing launched. And as we pull away the, the covering to it, it's becoming more and more intriguing and more and more encompassing. And I thought this was interesting that Kaylee McEnany said at her presser yesterday. Keep in mind, John Brennan, CIA director, John Brennan with the International Connections. John Brennan knows Ambassador Downer of Australia, who worked in Britain. John Brennan would have connections to the professor over at a university there that ended up talking to Papadopoulos. John Brennan would know Mifsud. That would be his connections. Kaylee McEnany on that. Cut 37. John Brennan, of all of the, uh, I'll call them bad actors, because indeed they were, um, of the Obama administration, John Brennan probably has the most to answer, because it was John Brennan who sat before Congress and said the Steele dossier, paid for by Hillary Clinton, paid for by the DNC, that that document played no part of the role in opening the Russia probe, when in fact we know it did, when in fact we know it was the impetus um, testified before a FISA court for its truthfulness to spy on, on the Trump campaign. It's a real travesty and really one of the biggest political scandals in modern history. Hmm. I think he's gotten very quiet. Comey has been very quiet. You know what else has been very quiet? Peter Strzok. And he's out of a job right now. Andy McCabe hasn't said much either. I don't think they're all vulnerable. And the FBI is doing an investigation, although I don't have high hopes for this. And nothing against Christopher Wray in this case. But Christopher Wray's got to head up a department that has loyalty to some of those people. And it's, for example, if you become a new head coach and you're not happy with the quarterback, but the quarterback's very popular with the team, you can't come in there and blow up the quarterback and expect the rest of the team not to feel bitter so Christopher Ray's in a much tougher situation than those on the outside, the inspector generals and the politicians. But he's doing an investigation of how this is handled. And I think if he does a thorough investigation, it could get Comey in a lot of trouble, McCabe in a lot of trouble, Peter Strzok in a lot of trouble, Lisa Page, Bill Priestep, all in a lot of trouble. Just keep an eye on that. And without getting involved with what did, what did Michael Flynn do and what about that, just keep an eye because if you're going to condemn and say the Trump administration should have done this and they sh- there's too many open spots there and they're, uh, they're too top down in the way they deliberate and the previous administration was so settled, calm and professional, I think it's important for you to understand what the previous administration was doing or not doing because I'll be open to it. Other news that happened late last night. Uh, the President of the United States, for some reason, wants to fight with Joe Scarborough about a 29-year-old that lost her life as an intern, tragically hit her head. Uh, I have no idea what happened. I'm not interested in what happened. But because of that, they're pleading to Twitter to jump in and stop, let, stop the president from tweeting on this. And they said they can't stop him. But out of nowhere, they decide to look at a tweet the president put out. They talked about the illegality of mail-in voting and how we cannot do it. And says everybody is well known. And in comes Twitter. They put an attachment on the tweet that says, essentially, check CNN and check the Washington Post for the other story. Here's what the president said. There's no way that mail-in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent. Mailboxes will be robbed, ballots will be forged, and even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. The governor of California is sending the ballots to millions of people, anyone, he goes on. But then they put this link there, essentially, to fact-check him. And to get in his face, I think, CNN never wrote one thing good about the president, 
Washington Post almost writes nothing good about the president. Well, only write something if it's good, if it can lead to something that ends up being bad. So the president came out and said Twitter is now interfering in the 2020 election. They're saying my statement on mail-in ballots, which will lead to massive corruption and fraud, is incorrect because of fact-checking by fake news CNN and Amazon Washington Post. The president tweeted this evening, Twitter is completely stifling free speech, and I, as president, will not let that happen. Here's what you've done, Twitter. If you were going to say the president's inaccurate about the ballots when there are some fraud involved, you go ahead. If so, if Joe Biden tweets out the president's responsible for 36,000 dead for the coronavirus, you better not, you better put an attachment on that that shows it's not. Now you got to go look it up to find out if it's true or not. And now you got to go put attachments on, on all the tweets that come your way, whether it's Bill Jones in the middle of uh, Idaho or the president at 1600, you have set an impossible standard. Impossible. When we come back, Jake Steinfeld, how do you get through this coronavirus? No matter where you are, you've been sheltering at home at some point, maybe without a job at another point. Back in a moment, Jake Steinfeld. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. An important part of this whole pandemic, as we work our way out of it, my fingers are crossed, is staying fit during and certainly after. You want to make resolutions? Well, everyone does it January 1st. Well, now we got a chance to reset. Jake Steinfeld used that to break into this thing called social media in a big way, Instagram to be specific. Uh, He was able to get some affordable help, his family, and without any big uh, luxurious gold gym in the backdrop, just his uh, just his lawn and his garage was able to show us exactly how to work out and get fit and still does. Uh, Jake, you get people's mind in shape and their body in shape through this pandemic. Have you found a way to get people healthy? Brian, first of all, I love what you just said, man, about a resolution. And, you know, we all look at, 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 at how the ball dropped on New Year's Eve. And who knew that when 2020 illuminated, uh, what, what this year was going to be in store for us. And I love the way you said about a reset, a reload. Um, first and foremost, uh, it's been a pleasure, you know, hanging with you, buddy, throughout this um, this this moment in time and it really is i'm a big believer in life is about moments and there are ways to really go about it and both physically and mentally and you have talked about it a number of times on the show on on the on the tv show you know with steve and the gang uh about not just physical health but mental health and as you know just a little bit of exercise just a little bit of your body moving man really is both great mentally and physically Using the simplest of things, what I've found and what I've so enjoyed is, you know, on Instagram, an official body by Jake, man, you know, going back to the roots of what I created when uh, I started this whole personal fitness training movement, going to the big stars' homes, using a broomstick, a towel, and a chair, and two cans of Mama's tomato paste, and there was a reason for it, buddy. It wasn't about the fact that they couldn't afford equipment or I couldn't afford to get equipment for them. It was about understanding that 
exercise is boring. And if you find something, though, that you, that you can do that, that, that is simple and you can work into your own life in your own way and, right. and, and not make it a second job, I can do this kind of stuff. And that's why it's working now for everyone. So the other thing is, where do you get to the point where it's a routine? They say two and a half weeks. Now, for you, you're another level. You do it every single day, probably for as long as you can remember it, about the thought, four in the morning sometimes? Yeah, I'm up, if you I'm, need up, it. I'm up at 3.45 in the morning, but that's psychotic, man. Listen, I understand that. You know, it's, it, that, that's just what, what I've always done. But listen, I, I, Brian, that what I want to make sure that everyone who listens – if you, if you make it as if you're getting up in the morning to brush your teeth, and I'm hoping everybody does that in the morning first thing, you can do a little bit of exercise. I've been reading and now talking to a lot of folks, you know, science people, uh, kinesiologists around the country and around the world, and we're, we're, we're seeing that more and more, especially during this pandemic, we're sitting an average of 10 hours a day. 10 hours a day. So if you could just get your body moving, what it does is it builds up your metabolism, revs it up, but it builds up your immune system. And, you know, we're talking a lot about vaccines. Think of fitness and exercise as a vaccine because the stronger you are, the healthier you are, mentally and physically, you're building your body to fight off whatever it is you have to fight off. Right. So I want to bring you to something. It's actually in California where you're at. This John Muir uh, Medical Center, uh, Walnut Creek, California. I don't know if you're familiar with the area. I'm not, but it's Northern California. Yep. And this doctor's seeing, you know, of course, no one wants to get the virus and you got to work. But what we're seeing is the addictions going up, drugs, alcohol, depression. And listen to what this doctor said. And he is alarmed at the, how long this is dragging on. Cut 12. The numbers that we've seen are sort of unprecedented. We've never seen numbers like this uh, in such a short period of time. Uh, I mean, we've seen a year's worth of, of suicide attempts uh, in the last four weeks. I think mental health is definitely suffering, uh, and we have, we have, unfortunately, the data to prove it. Um, you know, it. It's definitely had an effect. Personally, I think it's time. I mean, that's how depressed people are getting. Not everybody's got that nuclear family of support. People are watching their livelihoods go by the boards. They're living paycheck to paycheck, or they're in a business that was barely getting by, and they're watching it die on the vine. That's the type of stress. People focus on the disease, but they don't focus on that. Yes, and and here's where, and, and what happens is, and all of this, it's, 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 it's you spiral out of control as opposed to an upward spiral of success. You can control these things, right? No one knows what the next move is going to be, which what makes everybody, even people who, you know, are rational at a moment, we're all waiting. It's like, what's the next thing? What can you control? You can control you. And if you literally simply, a simple movement, whether it's a push-up, a sit-up, just jogging in place in your apartment, and you said something, Right, really, about the fact that a lot of people are alone. A lot of people are by themselves, and they need to stimulate themselves, and the way to do it in a positive way is not about drinking, it's not about taking drugs, it's about literally, you have to reset, like you said, reset, reload, and it all begins with taking a little care of yourself. And what we've been able to do with Official Body by Jake is I want to make sure, 
and, and I've done this now for 42 years, is keep exercise simple. Make it fun. I want to put a smile on your face. I want you to make you feel that you've accomplished something. And as you know, I'm a big yellow pad guy. I've been doing it for 100 years. You write down thoughts, ideas, what I need to do, what I have to accomplish during a day, sometimes simple tasks. And the great feeling is, is when you're able to cross them off. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want I you to be able to do is when you do these exercises, okay, I did it. First thing in the morning, I feel better. I'm standing up straighter. That sense of accomplishment, that sense of I've done this, only leads to more positive. And that's what we want to be able to do for you. And listen, you have, you have great weather 20, uh, 365 days a year for the most part in California, <laughs> but now the rest of the country is getting better weather so we can do some stuff outside. Lastly, when you look around California, Southern California, you've been there forever, um, how, uh, how would you characterize the attitude in and around you with New York? People are so restless. We have had it. We thought this thing was going to be 15 days. It's been two and a half months. What about California? Let me tell you something, Brian. I think everybody's had it here, too. And, it, and, and I think the, the insanity, and I think everybody feels the same way. You have 50 states doing 50 different things. And here in California, you can go, my brother lives in Simi Valley. And he sent me a, a, a video last night of he and his buddies out at a restaurant. And the, him just saying to me on the video, hey, Jake, uh, we're done quarantining. They're having some beer, and they're enjoying it. In my, in my neighborhood in the Palisades, everybody's walking around with a mask on, and if God forbid you don't have a mask on, they give you a funny look. So the, the, the people are restless, everybody's getting a little nutty, and I think, quite frankly, we all just need to take a big, deep breath and understand that we're going to get through this. I know it's been said a million times, but we need separately, each of us, to take control of our destiny because, as you said, it's time to reload, reset. Summertime is here. Get out, walk, a little bit of exercise. That broomstick, a towel, and a chair goes a long way. And as I've always said, man, stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. Don't quit, bro. You're doing a great job, as always. Nice, Dan. I'm not going to let you close on that. i got to ask you one more thing. Yeah. Uh, the Clippers and Lakers are having a historic season uh, with all the big names on both teams. Um, what is the sense, because I know how much the Lakers mean Southern California has to do all sports radio out there, how bad do they want to get back with their season, or have we just forgotten about that in Los Angeles? Let me tell you something, man. There's a lot of people forgotten about it. There's a lot of people who are out of their minds, I mean, that want to have their season back. LeBron, as you know, is desperate to want to play, obviously. You know, as you get older, time time is running out. This Laker team is stacked to the gills, and uh, I'm just sorry that the Knicks are not there. I can't, I'm sorry to tell you. Right. But, you know, I've been here for 42 yeah. years, and, and uh, I've always been a diehard Knicks fan. And you know the good news is, uh, Jake, you were able to move out to the West Coast and not miss any Nick championships. <laughs> so that is really, that is really special. So this shows what kind of fan you are. Uh, <laughs> Jake Steinfeld, thanks so much. Body by Jake. Follow him on Instagram, and uh, you can get inspired. You cannot be not be inspired and and listen to Jake uh, on a daily basis. He doesn't judge. He just wants to make your life better. He doesn't compare it to anybody else's. Jake, thanks so much. Always appreciate it. You got it, brother. Great talking to you, pal. Keep up the great work. Don't quit. All right, you got it. Living the
Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, it's a busy week, even though the election's five months away in the middle of a pandemic, uh, the economic revival, perhaps, or the reopening of this country. And then we have this story for the first time. And believe me, we're going to remember this for a long time. Uh, Twitter has decided to fact check tweets. And they're going to start with the president. They didn't like one of his tweets. So they decided to put an attachment to CNN and Washington Post stories related to it. Good luck competing with that and continuing with that. And the unfairness that's bound to happen when Joe Biden comes out with a statement like uh, Donald Trump, because of the way he handled the pandemic, 40,000 more people are dead. Are they going to touch that one? Not true, right? Are they going to go find a, uh, a column, maybe written in the Daily Caller, that shows it's not true? Like you just found something in the Washington Post? It's historic. Uh, the, the Twitter is feeling the pressure that the president likes their medium and they're a bunch of liberal owners uh, there. And the president came out and just uh, talked about his, uh, uh, the misuse of paper ballots and the mail-in voting and how it's going to screw up the whole election. And they had a problem with that. Matt Schlapp is going to be with us shortly in Senator Martha McSally at the bottom of the hour. She's in trouble politically. She was appointed to that position. And uh, she is trailing to the astronaut. And we'll discuss that. First big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I hope he releases these calls. This one phone call has been the excuse that the Obama administration, that the intelligence chiefs, that the media have used as the sort of fulcrum of the whole Russia probe. Yeah, that's his uh, KT McFarlane. More, uh, more on the Michael Flynn fight for justice as we are now on the doorstep of learning exactly what was said in those calls to the Russian ambassador, which resulted in the collapse of his finances, career, and reputation, at least for now. Number two. Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or? Trump, and you ain't black. I cringed, no question about that. In this instance, uh, Joe did not do as well as I had hoped in responding. (laughs) Yes, not as well as I had hoped. How about horribly bad? Uh, Presidential politics, as a Biden MVP rebukes Joe's comments on black voters, and the president test drives a new re-election theme, and his most loyal supporters express to him some alarm in battleground states to see if Matt Schlapp agrees. Number one. We are in transition and we are pivoting now towards reopening. The curves are flattening and they're adjusting downwards. This is great news. It's driving the stock market up. Larry Kudlow, economic comeback. Does it begin? State by state, there are signs of hope and perhaps hype. We will bring you the state stories and the numbers behind the optimism. Most of all, how do you feel? BrianKillMeShow.com, by the way, if you ever want to get the podcast. Let's bring in Matt Schlapp, chairman of the American Conservative Union and was the deputy assistant to President George W. Bush. His wife, Mercedes Schlapp, is now a key figure with the Trump re-election campaign. Matt, welcome back. Great to be with you again, Brian. Hey, Matt. So there was a political story yesterday that talked about the fear of it's a former Obama official, now a Harvard professor, that the economy is going to be on the upswing. It's going to have the biggest improvement in quite some time and that Democrats could be in trouble because of it, even though the numbers are high. And I know you want the Democrats to worry. Do you believe there's a reason to worry if the economy begins to go in the right direction? Well, look, the economy has to go in the right direction because 
I mean, it it couldn't really be much worse, Brian. I mean, this shutdown, you know, when I hear Larry Kudlow, a great man and a good friend, talking about how the curves are flattening, that's very lagging. That that was weeks ago. Um, and we, we've waited. We've been way too uh, careful in these blue states and blue state governors are, I think, playing politics now because I think they believe that if the economy stays shut down, that that weakens uh, Trump and Republicans running for the House and Senate. And I think it's a damn shame what the governor of North Carolina is doing to try to shut down a Republican convention and what, the, quite honestly, the governor of Virginia is doing to prevent the Trump campaign from going back to work. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, I, I think that the economy is bound to come back. It'll come roaring back. But what I worry about, and I, and I love President Trump and I'm a big supporter, but what I worry about is we stayed hunkered down too long. And these public health officials, I know they mean well, but they don't understand anything about economics. And I think we've made ourselves sick trying to stay healthy. Well, there's no question about it. I think Governor Cuomo's gone way too slow. The governor of Massachusetts, way too slow. Pennsylvania, an embarrassment. New Jersey, uh, suffocating small business in their state, which uh, they're going to lose millions. And then Governor Cuomo comes to Washington today and says, hey, would you fulfill my the budget gap I have? He wants some free money. Yeah, this is exactly right. Now, look, they, uh, the Democrats took the mention of God out of their platform. Um, which I think when you chuck God out of the equation, no wonder they have so much trouble telling the truth. And, uh, and I think they're playing politics with this. And I also think they're using this pandemic as a way to push their radical social policy. In this case, uh, I think they like this idea of every American getting a monthly check that uh, is more than probably uh, they would make in the job market for some folks, especially people starting out. And uh, and so they love this idea of a guaranteed income. And now they're going to use this pandemic as an opportunity to have the federal government be the backstop for every big spending, free willing liberal in the country. America will never be able to pay its bills. We're already trillions of dollars in debt. If we start picking up the credit card bills of Gavin Newsom and uh, Governor Cuomo. And I'll tell you what, there's going to be an insurrection in this country if we go down those roads. Absolutely. Here's Governor Cuomo yesterday. Cut eight. Hospitalizations down. Great news. Rolling average down. Number of intubations down. Number of new COVID cases down to the lowest level since this ever started. Just about 200. What the hell are you waiting for? We're only in phase one. New York City is even opening up till the middle of June. It's crazy. They won't open up until they demand to be closed down because every medical professional I've talked to tells me that, you know, when the temperature turns cold and, you know, New York City is a particularly cold city because of the skyscrapers and everything else, you don't, you don't get a lot of sunshine up there, Brian. Uh, they're going to demand to close this thing down all over again. We have some governors saying that we won't re- be able to fully open up until the middle of November of this year. I don't know where they came up with the middle of November, Brian. I'm sure that's just a random date uh, that they selected. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, this is uh, this is shameful uh, behavior to use people's health. I talked to a person last night for an hour who recovered from COVID. He uh, he was cured by one of these drugs that CNN says will kill you. He was cured by one of those drugs. And he actually ended up spending uh, an extra amount of time in the ICU because, let's face it, the healthcare professionals uh, are trying to figure out how to handle this 
really peculiar virus. Um, so his, his the people treating him almost killed him after he recovered from corona, right? And I think what the governor of New York, with his demand for hospital beds and uh, respirators and everything else, uh, they have been wrong about almost everything they have demanded that we provide. And it's time for common sense Americans to take a breath and look at the situation and say, 99.9% of us recover from it if we get it, if we're not in one of these scary classes of comorbidity. And, uh, and you know what, we've, Oh, and, you know, at least probably 25 to half of us have already been exposed in this country. Uh, and, you know, the fact is, it's what your grandmother taught you. The best way to uh, counteract uh, Chinese corona is to, in a healthy state, experience it and beat it. Right. Uh, by the way, uh, Andrew Cuomo's popularity went from 73 to 61 percent approval and handling the nursing home, 43 percent. When things get more and more exposed, it'll turn out he is blaming the Trump administration for the policies that had these COVID positive patients going back to nursing homes. No, if they can isolate, they go back to nursing homes. You don't put an infected patient back in a nursing home without isolation. It killed thousands of people. And to blame the Trump administration is uh, befuddling, to say the least. Meanwhile, it was Anthony Fauci who, yeah, if Anthony Fauci came out and told us, well, the flu... Uh, kills 0.4% of people, and this kills 1% of people. It's, it's not the flu, it's worse. Now it turns out this kills 0.3% of the people. And he comes out, who, by the way, told us in January and February, nothing to worry about. Here is Anthony Fauci today. And I often say, you know, we often talk about the possibility of a second wave or of an outbreak when you're reopening. Mm-hmm. We don't have to accept that as an inevitability. And particularly when people starting thinking about the fall. And I want people to really appreciate that. It could happen, but it is not inevitable. If we do the kinds of things that we're putting in place now, identification, isolation, and contact tracing, we can prevent this second wave that we're talking about. All right. Uh, is this, I mean, look, he's a wonderful, he's probably a very smart, smarter than I'll ever be. But man, this guy is not a fountain of truth. I mean, excuse me, a fountain of accuracy. You know, I have just long ago stopped listening to the healthcare professionals. I'd rather have a coin and flip it to know whether or not, you know, when we, when we had this one uh, patient at uh, CPAC, all the healthcare professionals, and I talked to all of them, uh, told me, don't worry about telling everybody to wear masks. And of course, this was a week after CPAC had ended, but you don't have to worry about wearing a mask because it will make you sick because you'll be touching everything and then you'll be touching your face because masks always move around on your face. Now, out of nowhere, everyone's all of a sudden saying, oh, yeah, all of us should be wearing masks and gloves. You know, it's just they, they keep changing all the guidance. Now, I can understand if they learn, if they're doing it off data and learning and then changing, but their data is all wrong, Brian. It's garbage in, garbage out. And so, I, once again, I think this is a moment where just American common sense and know-how, you, you've got to almost dictate for yourself what you think makes sense. And it all comes down to the same thing. If you're, in a, if, you're, if you're like my mom and you're 80 years old and you have health issues, you know, she's not going to a lot of events with a lot of people, and she's maintaining her distance and everything else. But if you're a healthy person, um, you've got to make your own choices. And Americans have been doing this for 200 years. We've survived pandemics. We've survived challenges. This is a moment where we just got to use common sense. 
I agree. And uh, people who wear a mask in the car by themselves, what are you talking about? You're by yourself <laughs> on a beach wearing a mask. What are you doing? Uh, I'm watching Dana I, I Bash interview Joe driving, Joe. Brian, I drive very fast and I try to pass them because I'm like, I don't know if that person's all there. By the way, I would love, now that we all wear masks out, I can't understand what anybody's saying. I repeat myself 20 times. Finally, I take the mask off and I go, hey, how much is this? You know, so we're like, the, if no one could hear each other, we can't understand each other, everything's muffled, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, just real quick on this. I'm watching Dana Bash interview Joe Biden. They decide to do it from 12 feet away. Why, why even interview him? Why not just put him on a satellite or get a bullhorn? It looks so ridiculous. What are you doing? You're six feet away. The guy gets tested every day. The reason why Trump doesn't wear a mask, he got tested an hour before. That's why he doesn't wear a mask. It's to protect other people from you. So real quick, let's talk a- politics. Go ahead. It was insane. That was insane. And right. I'll just say one thing on this distance thing and the mask thing. As a Roman Catholic, they, they're telling us in Virginia we can't even go inside our churches. We have to wear masks. Everyone knows anything about the Catholic Church that you receive communion. So if you're taking your mask on and off and on and off, let's face it, folks, it's pointless. It's just playing to people's emotions of fear and trying to calm people down. Our fear should be based on rational concerns, not on irrational concerns. And we're playing into this political correctness. And the latest version of it is when you wear a mask, you can't get corona. And it's just not accurate. Right. Unless, of course, the first two months when they told us something else, they were inaccurate then. So yesterday, yeah. I'm reading this story, and it's not been denied to me, that uh, David Bossie and Corey Lewandowski went to see the president. The, the president likes them. They're senior advisors, part of the success of 2016, and told him, Mr. President, Florida and Arizona, you're in a lot of trouble. He ends up calling in the directors in both those states and some of the other battleground states and saying there's an emergency here, especially with uh, voters over 65. Tell me the truth, Matt. You know his politics as well as anyone. Yeah, Mercedes is down there in the trenches. Uh, so, President, is that the right message the president should be getting? Yeah, yes, in, in the sense that I think we should be very concerned. I think all Trump supporters should be concerned. I think there's a bit of a cockiness out there in the country that he somehow found a way last time, and so he'll just find out that way this time. And uh, the shutdown is... It been and the pandemic has been very alarming to a lot of people and the polls actually a lot of polls look bad uh i actually don't look at the polls as being indicative of what's going to happen in november i actually think things will get in a, on a better direction but we should not assume that you can go through a pandemic and an economic shutdown without political consequences there will be political consequences so i think that's the right message to tell the president yes there's some alarming situations out there now that all being said uh, I actually think the, the re-election campaign is novel. It's interesting. It's the right kind of campaign. And I think the president is in a, will eventually be in a very strong position uh, to win re-election. But nobody out there who's a Trump supporter should be taking this for granted. You should be concerned. You should be out there uh, convincing your neighbors that uh, a tax-raising 12-foot-away Joe Biden uh, is not the solution to uh, our problems of an economic downturn and taking on China. We need Trump for that fight. And that's what this election is going to be about. He is match lap, knows a lot of stuff, and he even doesn't tell us everything he knows. But someday he will uh, when he writes a book. Uh, match lap, thanks so much. No, Brian, you write the books. I read the books. You write the books, okay? 
Uh, that, that's a good point. Uh, chairman of the American Conservative Union and a wonderful person. Matt Schlapp, thanks so much. Uh, when we come back, your phone calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. One line open. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If there's ever a time to actually take on this overdue need of major infrastructure construction, now is the time. Scheduled to meet with the president uh, to talk about a number of things, but this is one of the things I want to talk to the president about. You want to restart the economy. You want to reopen the economy. Let's do something creative. Let's do it fast. Let's put Americans back to work. All right. uh, It would help Governor Cuomo if you were putting New Yorkers back to work at a way in which does not put their health at risk, but my goodness, leans forward and gives them an opportunity to stand up their businesses. Phase one opens up today. It should have been two weeks ago. Phase two and three and four should be happening right away. It better not be two weeks at a time. If you're not going to stand up your economy and take some risks, why should the president uh, write his, a check on overdraft to New York? And I say that as a New Yorker. Jason, listening at 97.1 in St. Louis. Hey, hey, Jason, you're talking about politics, right? Absolutely, Brian. I'll keep my comment real, real simple. Uh, I think Val Demings would be a perfect uh, vice presidential candidate uh, for Joe. I understand the Republicans are running very scared. Uh, these polls that came out, it's very, very clear Donald Trump is in trouble, which he should be in trouble. Uh, he's been an ultimate failure. What do you like about Val Demings? What do you like about Val Demings? Uh, I like that she's a strong woman and she's not afraid to go after the president and she won't be afraid to go after Pence whenever they're standing next to each other on that stage because anybody's going to wipe the floor with either one of them because you've got the dirty How come they have it? And you really think, you perp- think Biden is going to wipe the floor with the president? You're the Absolutely. one? Absolutely. Even yes, Biden's family though. doesn't think that. Is he going to remember his name? There's yeah, nobody I know Donald. that thinks that Biden will, there's nobody I know that thinks that Biden will be Trump in a debate. If you want to say the president went overboard with Joe Scarborough, absolutely. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, I think everyone knows we're down to uh, less than 8,000 troops. Uh, we're with uh, leadership in many different fields and in many different parts of, of that country. We're, with, uh, we're dealing with the Taliban. We're dealing with the president. We're really not acting as soldiers. We're acting as police. And we're not sent over there to be policemen, but we're there 19 years. And, uh, yeah, I think that's enough. And uh, they understand we're having... Uh, Very positive talks. We want to bring our soldiers back home. We want to bring them back home. We have to go back. We'll go back and we'll go back raging. No, we're not. Uh, We're not going to blow back in there. There's going to be other countries that are going to come in there, uh, like China, who are there uh, just raking up the rare earth materials and minerals. So I, I think it's a big mistake to leave in November. It's not so much a raging war for 19 years. I want to stop writing checks to their government. Absolutely. But in terms of security, 
we've done great things in keeping the next terror attack away from our homeland and other terror groups from coming back there in great numbers because of our presence. Senator Martha McSally knows all that. She fights wars for a living or used to. She's a member of the Armed Services Committee and Banking Committee and author of a brand new book called Dare to Fly, Simple Lessons in Never Giving Up. Uh, Senator uh, McSally, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning, Brian. Hope you're doing well today. I'm doing good. Congratulations on the book. What was it like to tell your story at such a young age? Oh, well, thanks. Well, the process of sharing the book was actually impactful, just uh, in healing in some ways, but in sometimes painful, you know, sharing some stories, going from being a shy, pudgy, motion sick kid, you know, to being the first woman to fly in combat, uh, and other challenges that I've been through, you know, losing my dad when I was 12, and even going back through that and talking to my mom and family members, it was, it was impactful in a very positive and meaningful way, and although I've had some unique experiences in my life, Brian, Everybody can relate to fear and how we overcome fear. Everybody can relate to adversity and challenges. Right now, I think everybody can relate to uh, things are not going as planned for 2020. Uh, and I've had experience in my own life in that past. And so I share some lessons, trying to be a wingman to the reader uh, for their own journey so that they can be encouraged and they can break through their own barriers and find their own courage. I bring them into the cockpit of an A-10 Warthog for my first takeoff and also uh, complex combat missions. Uh, uh, trying to, again, encourage them for their own, their own path. The president wants to pull out all troops in Afghanistan by, uh, by election day. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I served in Afghanistan. I'll tell you, in 2005-2006, I commanded my A-10 Warthog Squadron over there. We provided 24-7 close air support and coverage for our troops on the ground. And we did our mission. Uh, we saved American lives. I'll tell you, I, I was over in Saudi Arabia on 9-11 and a part of the initial team to plan the initial airstrikes against the Taliban. And over the years, as a senior military leader, I really felt like we had mission creep happen. Instead of us being very focused on ensuring that they are not a safe haven for terrorist activity that are going to come and kill Americans. Somehow it turned into trying to bring them into the 21st century, you know, becoming a liberal democracy. Um, and that should have never been our mission. So I think a lot of mistakes have been made over the years. I share the president's frustration that here we are almost 19 years later. And I think we've never had conditions and strategic focus over the last many years. It's been more about just kind of the status quo. And I agree. We, you know, insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And uh, it's time for us to rethink. Uh, but we also need to make sure that they don't become a safe haven for terrorists that are going to hurt Americans again. That should have always been our mission, but we lost track of that. Yeah, but uh, we're going to leave without that, uh, without that mission accomplished. In fact, a story in the New York Times today, I can't really deny the Taliban, with direct quotes, says they sense a victory over superpower. And we know how the victory over the Soviet Union propelled that Islamic extremism throughout the region. Mm. Now they're going to have a second one uh, that they're going to claim as theirs because we came, we conquered, but left, and they're about to reconquer. Yeah, again, I, I share the concerns. There is about a dozen terrorist organizations there now. Uh, it's not just al-Qaeda. It's ISIS and it's several others. Uh, and we also need to be really looking at Pakistan. I mean, some of the challenges we've had over the last two decades, because Pakistan continues to be a safe haven for the terrorists. They go over into the safe haven, they regroup, they re-equip, and they come back over again. And if you're trying to fight an insurgency, and that needs to happen also from the inside out. The insurgency is for Af the Afghans to fight 
the terrorists are we need to make sure that we are continuing to have intelligence capability and the ability to strike them so that we don't have terrorists hurting americans so uh again no decisions have been made um we need to, to keep our eye on the ball about protecting americans and our national security interests unfortunately over the last 19 years um that that hasn't been the main objective it's been one of them and we've had a lot of people saying glasses half full every year the general's given updates about how we're on the verge of winning and it just really has not been factually accurate. And that's what brings us to where, where we are today. I just can't believe we can't stand up. There's 100,000 men uh, and women police, uh, security forces, and yet they don't seem effective fighting the Taliban. How could that be? Well, it's a very complex environment. Uh, they've been at war for, for many decades. If we didn't even start training them up, Brian. Uh, until late into the 2000s. When I was there in 2005, 2006, we were still fighting our own little war. We weren't even thinking about how are, I mean, I just say strategically, how are they going to provide for their own security? How are they going to provide for their own people? This can never be done by an outsider. And so it's a very complex society. Uh, They've been in and out of war for a very long time. Uh, And these are some of the challenges that Again, do Americans have to solve all these problems? No. This is for the Afghans to solve for themselves. What we need to do is ensure that there's not a safe haven for terrorists who are going to come kill Americans. That's why we went in there in the first place. Right. Uh, Martha McSally has her book out now. It's called Dare to Fly, Simple Lessons in Never Giving Up. Senator, right now you have another challenge on your hands. Uh, Some polls show you're down double figures as you try to get a fresh six years to to be a senator from Arizona uh, to Mark Kelly, the astronaut. Uh, How do you close that gap? Word is at the White House, the president was briefed and is very concerned about your candidacy. Yeah, we're, we're working very closely with the president's team. Uh, we talked to their team several times last week. Uh, look, this is going to be a consequential election. I've had $10 million dumped on my head over the last year and a half. We say it fighter pilot, as fighter pilots, you know you're over the target when you're getting flack. They know that the only way that they can have Chuck Schumer be in charge is to go through Arizona. Uh, and, yeah, you just called my opponent the astronaut. Well, you know what? I'm the female fighter pilot who broke through barriers and uh, served my country and, and flew, flew in combat. Uh, 325 combat hours. So uh, I've got a story of my own. And while I've been in the Senate, I've been fighting for Arizonans, uh, leading on the issues to address this pandemic. Uh, And last year, I got the most bills passed into law of any senator tied with Chuck Grassley as a one-year senator. So the fight going forward, though, Brian, is going to be who do you trust to get the economy going again? Is it the people who brought the great economy, President Trump working with Republicans that we had before this pandemic? And who do you trust to hold China accountable? They unleashed this virus on the world. They lied about it. They covered up. And we've got two candidates here in Arizona with very different records. I don't trust communists. I never have. And my opponent went into business with them. He's tied to them to finan- financially. He's invested in them. They're invested in him. How? So, hey, you want to make a living, that. that's fine. In what, in what yes. respect? In what respect is Mark Kelly invested in them? There is a Chinese communist-associated company who has invested in a company that he co-founded. That's point one. Uh, point two is you should look for the video of him peddling uh, vitamins in a pyramid scheme in China, making a buck while he's coming out on stage on a motorcycle with a Chinese flag on the back. Look, I don't begrudge anybody making a living, but you've got to ask yourself, will Mark Kelly stand up to the people who he's beholden to financially? Of course he won't. And by the way, neither will Joe Biden. They have a very different view on China than President Trump and I do. So I'm committed to holding China accountable. The Communist Party is actually threatening me, and they threaten to meddle in our election. 
Why do you think that's happening? I'm leading to hold them accountable. We got to bring our critical supply chains back home, our healthcare supplies and, and other things. And it's just a simple question that's going to be consequential. And it hasn't even started. Look, my opponent's gotten a pass so far. It's ridiculous how he's been treated, but the fight's going to be on pretty soon. Uh, Senator, the other thing that's going on is uh, they are taking offense to those who are asking for an investigation, one of which is Australia. And the Australian, they said, you better get in line. There's going to be hell to pay. We're going to deny you iron ore sales. We're going to stop trade. What is our role in helping a loyal ally like Australia? What have we done substantively to to let China know we got their back? Well, this is this coronavirus has been a wake-up call for so many people, I think. For those of us who have been involved in national security for decades, uh, you know, I've been obviously seriously concerned about the rise of China over the last several decades. They're our primary threat, and they're doing it in plain sight. They've done it complicitly by us. So this is a wake-up call. Australia is standing up. We need to partner with them. And the rest of the world, the Europeans and others need to wake up. China is an adversary. They have been on a path to replace America. They are cheating. They are lying. Uh, they are communists. They cannot be trusted. We've been complicit in it. If we can work together with all our allies uh, in Asia and in Europe and stand up to China, bring our manufacturing home, hold them accountable, use all elements of national power, we're going to be stronger than they are, and they'll have to change their behavior. They'll have a choice. But we can't allow it to happen anymore. So uh, I thought Senator Portman put together an interesting proposal in a time in which we're extending unemployment benefits. I understand 36 million, 39 billion people lost their lives, uh, lost their jobs. And, and now we're adding 600 hours for their inconvenience. There's very little incentive to go back to work, even though people are doing it for their own code of ethics. Now we understand Senator Portman made a proposal to pay people to go back to work, incentivize them to go grab a job. Among the people that are interested in this, hearing more about it, is, uh, is uh, Larry Kudlow. Have you heard anything about this, and would you be in support of it on its surface? Yes, I have talked to Rob Hartman about this, and I think in general, in Arizona, where our economy is open back up again, people are safely returning to work, but the, the damage is pretty 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 deep. And uh, look, the underlying laws say you cannot quit your job and get on unemployment. You're not allowed to refuse a job and get on unemployment. I'm very interested as we move forward in any proposals that do incentivize and propel people back to work. But we need to make sure that it's not unfair for those who have been working through this whole process in a similar job that they end up actually being paid less. So uh, proposals going forward need to incentivize work, support our small businesses, allow people to start putting food on the table for their families after they were asked not to work to save other people's lives. I think Arizona is doing a good job on this, but I'm, I'm certainly interested in continuing the conversations of what else we can do to propel people back to work. Right. Uh, when people of uh, Arizona, when you look around right now, how close are you guys to opening up? We are open up, Brian. I've uh, gotten my hair cut. I've gotten a pedicure. I've gone to restaurants. I hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Uh, you're allowed to safely do these activities. Uh, I think Arizona has, has done a very good job. It's not an either-or. We need to still protect the vulnerable in nursing homes and assisted living. We need to test people and allow them to go visit their loved ones. This is one of the cruelest part of this disease is people are suffering alone. Uh, and we need to allow people to work. So in Arizona, come out to Arizona, Brian. You can get a haircut. You can go go get a beer. Uh, I think the governor is doing a good job here. And look, 
we trust Arizonans to make good decisions. I shared what I did. I was able to safely do that. There's protections that are happening at these businesses. But my friend who's a leukemia survivor, she can't do the same things I'm doing. And so let's have the guidelines out there. Let's allow people to make good choices and safely allow them to work and provide for their families. Yeah, Arizona's been a great model. Yeah, and just to go back, the back-to-work bonus, the White House signing a $450 a week bonus pay for rehired workers. Rob Portman put it out to incentivize jobless workers to return to employment because they have $600 coming to them, uh, I guess, yeah. a month up until July. And they won, and Nancy Pelosi's new, uh, new $3.3 trillion aid package has that continuing through November. Are you for additional aid? Well, I'm for propelling the economy back on track and allowing people to safely go back to work. So whatever we need to do for that and incentivize and support workers, uh, let's do that. We had a really strong economy beforehand. So anything that allows us to accelerate, that includes, you know, deregulations and other things, any other support to small businesses, let's do it. Let's have serious conversations about it. And look, in Arizona, people want to work. Uh, they don't want to be staying home and not working, even if they're getting paid a little bit more. Now, there's cases here and there, but really when this ends, pe- people I'm talking to, what they want to be connected to an employer. They want to have that security past their unemployment payment. The unemployment payment was supposed to be temporary just to help people get through this, and now we need to work together to figure out how they can continue to provide for their families themselves. If you want an inspiring book uh, with the best chapters yet to come, pick up Senator Martha McSally's book. It's called Dare to Fly, Simple Lessons in Never Giving Up. Senator, best of luck as you try to write another exciting chapter, and that will be the comeback story to get that Senate seat for six more years. Thanks, Senator. Hey, I'm already here, so I'm not coming back. (laughs) This is is an important election, but I hope people go to daretofly.us. Again, I just share some stories, bring you into the cockpit of A-10, and encourage you to work through your own adversity, persevere, and find your own courage. So look forward to hearing stories for people that can get on daretofly.us and share their own stories with me, too. All right, thanks so much. Back in a moment, 1-866-408-7669. Your calls and more to know next. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm prepared to say that I have a record of over 40 years and that I'm going to beat Joe Biden. Look at my record. Exactly. Let's beat Joe Biden if you're Joe Biden. You are the president's best offensive weapon by speaking. Joe Biden. That's to our last caller. Yeah, Joe Biden is ready to take out Donald Trump at a debate. Good luck with that. Uh, let's real quick, before we get to more to know, David on the Fox News app in Tennessee. David, what are you seeing in Tennessee? Brian, thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to say that we're, uh, our distillery is going to not only stand by uh, President Trump, but march forward with him in transitioning back to greatness. The biggest I thing is so. in Tennessee, as we open up, COVID-19 is over. And we're going to do nothing to perpetuate fear. So I terminated the making of hand sanitizer because all it was was reinforcing that fear to the public as they came into our place of business. Wow. Interesting. Thanks, David. Let's find out there's more to know. More 
to know. Are we going to get baseball? MLB's latest proposal didn't go over well with the union. Their latest plan would allow players making the least amount of money to have nearly their entire salary and the biggest players with the biggest salaries to make the less amount of money. For example, Garrett Cole, slated to make $36 million, will make about 18 How does he expect to live on that? Uh, so far, it doesn't look good. Next. One-fifth of all teachers unlikely to return to schools come fall. Many teachers unlikely to come back because the challenges of remote work. USA Today Ipsos poll released Tuesday found that nearly two-thirds of teachers said they haven't been able to do their jobs properly since the health crisis. Wow. Next. Michigan Governor uh, Whitmer claims her husband reportedly vote request was a failed attempt at humor. I doubt it. Governor Whitmer acknowledged Tuesday that her husband had dropped her name while requesting to get his boat in the water. Against her own wishes, Whitmore's comments came after the official initially pushed back against the story saying they're not going to make a practice of addressing every rumor. Then she realized she couldn't go without it. She was my husband failed uh, failed attempted humor last week when checking in with a small business that helps with our boat dock up north. He would not put, they would not put her boat, his boat in the water. She said, well, my wife is the governor. Does that help? Not really when your wife told everyone not to put your boat in the water in your summer home, only if you live there. That's your summer home. Good luck. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by the great Lara Logan and Joe Kelly of WDBO, one of our great affiliates. He's going to be informing us uh, about the meetings Disney is having, uh, about reopening, about Disney Springs reopening, because this is a great vacation spot for Americans, working middle and upper class, all classes. And I will know America's back when sports comes back and when Disney comes back. Even if you're not a fan, you need to see it. And number two is uh, Cape Canaveral is going to be the host uh, site of SpaceX's launch of manned space travel. We're going to go back to the space station with our own rockets, $3 billion from NASA. SpaceX goes up. They've already attached to the space station. They're all private. Uh, and now we're going to bring people in there. And they could save the rocket. It lands on a launch pad. The technology is absolutely amazing. Joe Kelly with us shortly. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I hope he releases these calls. This one phone call has been the excuse that the Obama administration, that the intelligence chiefs, that the media have used as this sort of fulcrum of the whole Russia probe. Here we go. Uh, KT McFarlane, more on the Michael Flynn fight for justice. We're now on the doorstep of learning exactly what went on with the Russian ambassador and Michael Flynn, which resulted in the collapse of his finances, his career and his reputation. Hopefully he begins to get that back. Number two. Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black? I cringed. No question about that. In this instance, uh, Joe did not do as well as I had hoped in responding. Uh, There you go, James Clyburn, presidential politics. As a Biden MVP rebukes Joe's black voter comment and the president has had test drives a new reelection theme and his most loyal supporters expressed to him some alarm in battleground states. Number one. We are in transition and we are pivoting now towards reopening. The curves are flattening and they're adjusting downwards. This is great news. It's driving the stock market up. 
Love it. Uh, and that's what I hope we hear more of. Don't you? Maybe not everybody. Larry Kudlow, the economic comeback begins. State by state, there are signs of hope and perhaps hype. We will bring you the state stories and the numbers behind the optimism, most of all, how you feel about it. Today, we just understand it just got underway. Governor Cuomo of New York, the epicenter of this coronavirus, they really got slammed uh, by Europe. Uh, West Coast got slammed by China. Ultimately, we all got slammed by China, who didn't tell us at all what was going on. They stopped. They locked up Wuhan, but they let their citizens go outside the country. So uh, the governor of New York and the president have a long history together, as do both families, uh, Mario Cuomo on down. They both have a dislike and a disrespect for Mayor de Blasio, which hurts the country. By the way, I was shocked to see that de Blasio gets paid more than the governor. Shocking, because I don't even think he works. I mean, he gets up around 10 o'clock, works out for a while, has to go to his hometown gym, takes his SUVs elsewhere. Who knows what he does? How the heck could 20% of the people in New York City uh, show up to vote? That's what you get. Uh, de Blasio, they still have the place closed. Suffolk County opens today. Most of New York has opened up at least phase one. Not enough. New York way too slow. Governor Cuomo's got no tax revenue. He wants the government to backstop him. And the president's got to turn around and say, yeah, I understand you got hit. A lot of people died, and that is tragic. And the president knows 98,000 people died. Let's never forget that. And thousands, tens of thousands have died in New York, I think 30. So how many more? Uh, and they lost a lot of money because they shut the entire state down. So how about leaning forward and doing everything you can to stand up the state? Instead of saying, we've got to be cautious, we don't want to rush. Listen to not rushing. I heard of not rushing, and then I heard of just stupidity. Listen to the state of game in New York, cut eight. Hospitalizations down, great news. Rolling average down, number of intubations down, number of new COVID cases down to the lowest level since this ever started, just about 200. That's why you shut down the whole state? I think one death is too many, but I know there's people that killed in car accidents every day. 180,000 people minimum drug and alcohol uh, overdose. We can't shut down a whole state or country for that. So Governor Cuomo is going to meet with President Trump. He's going to ask for money because he's been hit the hardest. Yeah, you've been hit the hardest. But you also overestimated your needs big time. You were not prepared for this big time. You actually bragged in March that this is not going to hit us because we have the best health care system in the world. Here is Governor Cuomo about the meeting that's going on right now. Cut nine. If there's ever a time to actually take on this overdue need of major infrastructure construction, now is the time. Scheduled to meet with the president uh, to talk about a number of things, but this is one of the things I want to talk to the president about. You want to restart the economy. You want to reopen the economy. Let's do something creative. Let's do it fast. Let's put Americans back to work. But would Governor Cuomo, and I could appreciate this, he's got New York on his mind. That's his job. But the president's got 50 states on his mind. So you start building a tunnel in New York, you build a bridge here, you start uh, revamping or uh, building a building or whatever he wants done. And the other 49 states go, excuse me, really? They're not going to vote for you anyway. Uh, this governor's been uh, tweaking you for the past three months. Now he wants a tunnel? Please explain that to me. So let's, re- let's, uh, let's reward obstinate behavior. Although, since they last met, he's, they've not really been insulting each other at all. So that's interesting. So 
there are some signs that the economy's coming back. Not huge signs, but there are absolutely signs that the economy's coming back. Uh, you see it in the Daily Mail today. You saw it in, um, you, you see it uh, with some stats, uh, with new home sales, with used home sales. They are uh, beginning to climb. Uh, more people are going back to work. Not at the rates we need, but more people are going back to work. And in some states, they're going back to restaurants. The consumer uh, economy is beginning uh, to work again. So there is a reason to hope if some of these mayors and these governors pick up the pace a little. Governor Phil Murphy, who's frustrating small business to no end. You know what they did to the gyms? Today I interviewed a guy that just wants to open up his hair salon. So he got together with other salons, dozens of them. They're opening up June 1st. They cannot get an answer from Governor Phil Murphy. But he did say something good about sports yesterday, cut 11. My order expressly makes it possible for the professional sports teams which train or play in New Jersey to return to training camps or even competitions. Obviously, not all of our sports are back. And we continue our work with all stakeholders, including, if not especially, youth sports leagues, to hopefully see their resumption in the near future. Near future? There is a future. This is May. Next week is June. Let them play. July 1st, they got to be playing. They got to start practicing June 1st. They understand the protocol. The clubs will come to you. The mayors will understand. Uh, you got to get the kids out of the house and play in organized sports, uh, away from the Xbox, big time. So that's what I hope happens. J.B. Pritzker, a real embarrassment for in Illinois, cut 12. Especially over the course of the past two weeks, we have all watched the trends of each of the four Restore Illinois regions and measured them for the three metrics necessary to move forward. Positivity rate below 20 percent, stable hospitalizations, and hospital bed availability above 14 percent. There is great news. All regions continue on track to move into phase three by the end of this week. You better pick up the pace a little bit. These people are very frustrated. I'm getting your emails. A political story today and a Daily Mail story, I should say. A number of promising signs. Here we go. Air travel, picking up, restaurant reservations, home buying activity show creeping signs of returning uh, to life. Uh, Data shows economic activity is slowing returning to the U.S. in May, but it's beginning to pick up thanks to the end of some lockdowns. Now, restaurant reservations have crept back up in sales and and allowing dining in in Texas and Georgia. Home sales and mortgage activity also show signs of returning. Uh, Economy still uh, remains in a deep recession. So we'll see. If we can avoid a second wave, it appears the worst is over. And that's a big if. But I want you to hear what Anthony Fauci told said last hour on CNN Eric, I think you have that, so let's listen. And I often say, you know, we often talk about the possibility of a second wave or of an outbreak when you're reopening. Mm -hmm. We don't have to accept that as an inevitability, and particularly when people starting thinking about the fall. And I want people to really appreciate that. It could happen, but it is not inevitable. If we do the kinds of things that we're putting in place now, identification, isolation, and contact tracing, we can prevent this second wave that we're talking about. Excellent. And that's why we got what happened in the Ozarks in Missouri can't happen again. We just got to be responsible about it. I don't really know why you want to stand in a pool with a thousand people anyway. Uh, please don't do that. We're trying to get we're trying to explain to these lawmakers they're going to be responsible. That blows up our argument. 
When I come back, uh, the most responsible, one of the most respected reporters in the country, thankfully, she's with Fox and Fox Nation. Laura Logan joins us live next to talk about how they're using anti-terror tactics to help the Democrats and General McChrystal advising. We'll explain. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Well, I think everyone knows we're down to uh, less than 8,000 troops. Uh, We're with uh, leadership in many different fields and in many different parts of of that country. We're with, uh, we're dealing with the Taliban. We're dealing with the president. We're really not acting as soldiers. We're acting as police. And we're not sent over there to be policemen, but we're there 19 years. And uh, yeah, I think that's enough. And uh, they understand we're having uh, very positive talks. We want to bring our soldiers back home. We want to bring them back home. We have to go back. We'll go back and we'll go back raging. 900 uh, Taliban prisoners released. I'm sure they're all not uh, uh, great guys. And it looks like we're pulling out of Afghanistan because we've been there a while. And the Taliban, according to the New York Times, a myriad of interviews, they are already advertising that they defeated a superpower. Lara Logan knows the region, covered it for years. Uh, She joins us now. Lara, before we talk about No Agenda and your special on Fox Nation, I wanted to get your take on what the president announced yesterday. Is it long enough? Just leave? You know, it's uh, so my sense of it is this, Brian, I've been covering that war from uh, the very, very beginning. Right. And I've been talking to a lot of people on the ground there over the last few months about the peace agreement and what's happening there. And I have a terrible, terrible, terrible sense of foreboding in my stomach, honestly, because um, the Taliban have demonstrated that they are exactly the same as they were right after 9-11. If anything, they're battle hardened. And they will be um, emboldened by this. I do find the hypocrisy of the New York Times just vomit-making, to be honest with you. Because here's a paper that, for all these years, has gone on and on and on about nothing of value ever being gained in Afghanistan and the Afghans not being worth the time of day. Um, and then they're, you know, now they're proclaiming from the rooftops that the Taliban are celebrating. Of course, the Taliban are celebrating their so-called victory against the superpower. The U.S. didn't win. You know, and and if you go to the roots of it and look at what did the United States go to Afghanistan to do in the first place, that was to defeat al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is not defeated. And um, and it was the Obama administration who year after year after year kept pushing this big lie that al-Qaeda is defeated. And ultimately, they couldn't withdraw those troops because it wasn't true. And so that's a situation that um, that President Trump inherited. And it's not a good situation for anybody. There is some um, logic to the argument. If you talk to uh, many soldiers and commanders and also on the Afghan side, that if you're not going to be there to fight a war, if you're just going to linger on the objective and, uh, you know, and give up um, the battle space to your enemy, that you're, you know, it's a lie anyway. And um, and I can see I can understand uh, what they're saying. But at the same time, if you really think that um, just pulling out and coming home is going to solve all your problems, which I which it doesn't seem to me from what the president said yesterday, that he thinks that that is the case. What he's saying is 
if we have to go back, we'll go in charging. I think what he's really saying is there's, um, to me, that I interpret that as a reset, right? That if you're going to just linger on the objective and you're not going to go there to fight and you're not going to do the job of soldiers, then there's no point being there. Well, there's some merit to that argument, but I'll tell you on the other side of that, um, what the Afghans, I've been talking to the Afghan vice president, you know, um, pretty much regularly for uh, the last few months that Many years I've known him, and uh, they just cannot believe that the United States is empowering uh, the people that they have fought so bravely against and sacrificed so much um, in this fight. But it's their fight. And um, and as he said to me, you know, about 10 years ago, we, we fought this battle before you, you know, you, the U.S., came to this country, and we'll continue to fight it after you're gone. It's just... Um, it's just going to be so painful and so costly for I so know. many people on the ground there. It's it's going to be absolutely brutal. And, you know, for the U.S. to be cutting out the Afghan government, to be treating the Afghan government and our Afghan allies as if they're the enemy, and to be bending over backwards to accommodate um, a very brutal enemy who uh, has not changed its stripes. They've never, none of the preconditions for peace talks that were set under the Bush administration have ever been met by the Taliban. They have never renounced al-Qaeda. They have never embraced the Afghan government. You know, it's just you could list them one after another after another. And all of this taking place as they storm into um, a hospital, a maternity hospital in Kabul, and massacre new mothers in their beds and newborn babies, two newborn babies killed in that attack. Can you imagine um, if you had your relatives having to go to the hospital, as these Afghan families did, having to pick up their babies and having the United States say to you, Oh, well, you know, this is, uh, this is not really uh, the Taliban. It's kind of ISIS. And uh, give me a break. Okay, Afghans aren't buying any of that. They're not fooled by it. And, uh, I, and I really, um, my, my indications, all the indications that I get from the people that I speak to on the ground is that this is going, you know, the consequences of this are going to be um, very bloody gotcha. and very terrible. Listen, there's nobody else uh, better to talk to than you. You're, the politics aside, you just know the reality on the ground. I want to get to your special. You, you know what veterans give uh, on a regular basis and how they have to come back often, uh, not the same people. You talk to Jose on Fox Nation. He's a triple amputee. He now has transitioned yeah. his life as a competitive search, uh, surfer. Here's a little of that interview. About eight years ago to the day, um, I actually stepped on the 60-pound IED that was meant for a vehicle. And when I woke up, I asked the doctors, I'm like, hey, so how am I going to walk again? They're like, well, 99% of the chance of from here on out, you'll never walk again. I became the first triple amputee hip to start to able to walk in the world. I'm killing it out here. I'm going to become a champion this weekend so I can make a stamp on my name all over again. Special guy, is that what we get in your series, Lara? Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, Jose is, is extraordinary. You know, he wasn't just a triple amputee. He lost, um, he had a hip disarticulation, which is one of the most difficult amputations um, that you can have. So few of them are performed. They're very rare because they're so difficult. And the road to recovery is so hard. So, and yet, Jose, you know, in I spoke to him the weekend. He was surfing in the World Paris Surfing Olympic uh, Championships. And he actually won um, his uh, his heat, you know, his in his uh, sort of area of that competition, which is um, just something else. And can you imagine being out there in the waves? I, I grew up on the ocean, right? And, and I'm a diver. And to be out there in those waves with one limb, right, knowing that relationship that he has with his, um, with his surfing coach, 
you know, Joseph, who's also a vet, by the way, and who also suffers from PTSD and terrible Lara, guilt. Do you have a second to because, hold on, Sarah? Could you, yeah. Lara, can I hold you on through the break? Great. Yes, yeah. Take it. We'll take a couple of minutes. We'll continue this conversation. Go get Fox Nation and get Lara series. She has no agenda, but man, does she have a lot on her plate? Back in a moment. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Lara Logan, one of the America's finest reporters, is doing a great feature a series on on Fox Nation, which is an app everyone's talking about, especially the pandemic hits. You get tired of Netflix. Finally, people are exploring uh, this app, which I love. I've done 21 features. Lara's done more. Uh, her latest one is a series on, on our on nation's uh, veterans. And you were talking about Jose. And before we moved on, I did want to talk to you about this terror activity, these anti-terror methods that they're using in the election, which you and I both yeah. agree this is outrageous. But I want to find I just want you to I don't want to cut you short. Why does this series mean a lot to you to feature veterans? Well, because um, I realize that we don't have any real current understanding of what these wars look like. And so the first segment is through these through veterans who've left the, the military but not the battlefield. They're our window into these wars. Because um, I always believe that we should, it's too important for us to ignore. And it's pretty much being ignored a lot of the time uh, these days. And then also because veterans don't want to just be defined as the guy, you know, who comes home and, and, uh, and is broken and needs a hand up, right? So the second segment is about those veterans who've absolutely killed it and been super successful um, in their lives beyond the military, but also how they've done it in standing up for their principles and who they are. And then uh, you can't ignore the dark side of this. So the third segment is about the price we pay in 22 veterans who are killing themselves every day in this country. And um, and the last part is no man left behind, something that is um, such a defining uh, ethos throughout so much of the, the U.S. military. So this series is about letting veterans speak for themselves in their own words. And, I, and that's just something I've always believed in, letting people speak for themselves. Gotcha. And it's uh, Lara Logan has no agenda. You just click on it. You'll see her pop up there. Also, click around one of your favorites, so it'll pop up every time there's she's something new. So let's move on to something else. And you brought this up casually in a conversation we had on television. And it made me reread this column. And it's so disturbing. There's very few people I have more respect for that I've got to know than General Stanley McChrystal. Of course, he got involved in controversy in 2010 when some of his people started speaking to Rolling Stone magazine and making fun of, believe it or not, Joe Biden, because he knows nothing. Uh, everything that he says, people in the military seem to want to do the opposite. And because everything, most of his decisions turned out to be wrong. But uh, General McChrystal was able to be one of the people to, to come up with a way to counter message Al-Qaeda especially in Iraq during the surge. Yet some of that methodology is being used to counter Donald Trump. Can you expand on this? Well, Brian, I agree with you. I mean, this is one of the most staggering things that I have seen discussed casually in public in a very long time. And, you know, one thing, though, I will say is General McChrystal commanded this operation, but he didn't actually create. Um, these weapons of war. There was, you know, there was a small handful of people who uh, this country asked 
to do that. And um, and the way they've described it for me, some of them have said, you know, using this as a weapon against your own people is no different to dropping a J-dam on an American city or turning a tank, um, you know, on people in the streets of New York. Okay, that's this is a powerful weapon, and it is designed, you know, among other things, to disrupt foreign governments, to defeat um, and disrupt their elections, and to manipulate and control people. I mean, that that is the purpose of it, to defeat the idea of al-Qaeda and um, Islamic and Islamic world and, and all those associated ideas that were built into 9-11, that ideology that has proved to be so enduring and powerful, right? Because um, there are people all over the world today who still fight for it. And in spite of us being told that al-Qaeda was decimated by the Obama administration and us not caring about it anymore, actually that ideology has proliferated across the world. And so to have General um, Stanley McChrystal join up with a Democratic super PAC and the Washington Post to be stories, you're running a headline that says, you know, that you're that uh, this group and and General McChrystal are going to take weapons that were used to defeat ISIS and they're going to use it to defeat Donald Trump's coronavirus messaging with artificial intelligence and a network of 3.4 million social influences. And this is about this is not about the pandemic. This is not about keeping people safe. This is about who's going to win the next election. It's about power. Who's going to control this country? And then you, you read a few more articles. You see that McChrystal is advising the state of Boston about their pandemic response. He's also inviting, you know, advising the state of Missouri. And they're doing this in plain sight. You know, they're not hiding. They're putting it out there. Why? Because they know they control most of the media, which means that they, they, they control the message and the propaganda. And what it essentially says is that you, you can't trust anything you read and see and hear. You know, when the governor of Florida says, hey, how come no one's paying attention to the fact that, you know, we're actually doing this right down here? Well, this is part of what's why, because look at what they've said in their own words. They're going to defeat Donald Trump's message and they're going to counter anything he says about the pandemic. So it's not about whether he's right or whether he's wrong. It's about making sure that he's defeated and how how anyone can just ignore that and let that pass us by. I mean, how do you trust, how do Americans trust anything they read and see and hear? And by the way, you know, look at the, the coverage of the pandemic. It's reflecting how successful they're being because you're, you are, you have a mortality rate for this virus that has declined drastically from what um, the first predictive model said it would be. You know, the average person now has a less than half of 1% chance of dying from this virus, according to the CDC, by the way. That's their statistics. And yet, you're saying the country must remain in lockdown in certain areas and that, you know, there's uh, dubious science over the masks. And yet you're saying you've got governors that are introducing mandatory masks. And I'm not saying I have anything against these things. It's not about how I feel personally. It's about look at the way the conversation has developed. People are saying that the president has politicized it. But you've got a political a super PAC that's using weapons of war against the American people to defeat the, anything the president says and counter anything it's he amazing. says about the pandemic. It couldn't be more so let's, Larry, than yeah, that. Let's take a step back. If I was just to say, Larry, tell me the story. Well, well, the story would be Georgia. The story would be uh, Florida. The story would be South Carolina. Uh, the Boston. story would be the yeah uh, Boston, the precipitous drop in New York, which is even has politicians befuddled and you don't hear anything about it. And they're and the governor's approval rating in Michigan is at 60 percent. 
done a terrible job. In Pennsylvania, 60%, they are holding back rural communities with no sign of the uh, coronavirus. And the CDC comes out with this. So you have a 99.7% chance of surviving if you get this, right? Know what they say? Well, yeah. it looks like the CDC has been pressured by the Trump administration. Are you kidding? You're not, they're not pressuring the CDC to change a percentage. It's an increase of testing that allowed additional data that brings you to this number. And here's what McChrys- uh, Salem McChrystal is quoted as saying. Everyone wishes the Pandora's box was closed and none of this existed, but it does. That is why he says he's using this technology now. Well, I will tell you, in my experience, and I could easily be wrong, but in my experience, by the time they come out and tell you what they're doing, they've been doing it for a long time, number one. Number two, when he says the Pandora's box is open, so, well, you know, so the Pandora's box is open on many different things, right? Does that mean it's okay to use it? Nobody would say, oh, well, okay, then JDAM, you know, uh, Texas, because they're not observing you know, the same rules as everybody else on, you know, on what we think this should be. Because look at what else Sam McChrystal says. We want a whole of government approach. It has to be all the states together at exactly the same time doing exactly the same thing. Why? Why? Look at South Dakota when you didn't have uh, many cases across the state. Look at Sweden and people will say, oh, but Sweden's got, you know, the death rate is up. But Sweden is not the worst. Sweden, yes, they're in the middle. If you look at the at the latest figures and the and the data on this, they're in the middle. So they've got um, people that you know countries that have had more people die from the virus than them, and they've had countries that have had less. But what they don't have is a broken economy. They don't have surging suicide rates. They don't have surging rates in depression. They don't have a healthcare system that is being uh, decimated because you know so many um, people are being laid off because you can't go and have elective surgeries and you can't have all these other health issues treated. They don't have people dying at home of heart attacks because they're too afraid to go to the hospital. You know, you can, you, they don't have, I live in a small tourist town in the Hill Country in Texas. We've got stores along Main Street. And by the way, um, some of them owned by Mexican-American families, for all you people who think it's only a bunch of racists and rednecks who live in Texas, okay? Family businesses that I have frequented because I've wanted to help local people, you know, that have, have signs on their doors saying after, you know, 10, 12 years, you know, the Lopez family regrets to inform you that we're not going to be coming back. You know, we're not going to be opening our doors. We've had to shut our doors forever. So there are people who've lost their jobs who are not, they're not going back to any jobs. And the long-term damage... The long-term damage to the economy, it's not about choosing the economy versus choosing people's lives. This is, this is the fallacy that's being created. And you know what they've done in McChrystal's program? They're using artificial intelligence to figure out, in their own words, by the way, these are not my words, to figure out the most effective messaging to counter the president. And those are the messages that they're repeating across all the blue states. And don't you wonder why you hear all the Democratic governors saying exactly the same thing and moving in lockstep? Well, this is why. This is why, because they're using these tools and these weapons. And, you know, there are a lot of people in the intelligence community who have said that this is illegal and uh, that if they were doing it, that they would be facing charges right now. Um, and, you know, you have to ask, what are they doing on Capitol Hill? You know what? what are they doing well, let's just this? keep I know. Let's keep blasting this out. For some reason, it hasn't resonated. We'll change that. Uh, I'm just going to add something else to your to your argument. 
Norway's top public official says lockdown may not have been may have been unnecessary to control the COVID-19 virus. Other countries that did what we did are saying, oops. So well, we're going to we're going to discuss this and no one's going to get away with this. We have to examine if we're going to be manipulated. You won't be manipulated if you know what's happening. Uh, Laura, thanks so much. Look forward to going on Fox Nation. See your latest series. Uh, Laura Logan has no agenda. Thanks, Laura. I always love talking to you, Brian. Thank you. Same here. Thank you so much. Listen, it's going to be exciting today. SpaceX is putting men in space, two of them. I think it's going to go well, if the weather allows. We're going to find out from Joe Kelly, the anchor of WDBO in Orlando. Don't move. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is about making America great again. America has to lead in space. We're leading a coalition um, when we return to the moon. Today's launch is about getting to low Earth orbit, the International Space Station. But we're going back to the moon sustainably and onto Mars. And, and the president has just been so amazingly supportive of space in general. We're talking about exploration, but also national security and defense. You know, in a time in which the, you know, sometimes the president's very conservative about things, the other times he's very adventurous. He's always been pro-space. Jim Bridenstine appreciates the support. I was down there, did an hour special on space uh, for Fox Nation, maybe two hours. And he talked about SpaceX putting man travel into space. Next stop, uh, they said they're going to go, uh, go to the moon and put a woman on the moon. Joining us now to discuss what it means, uh, the Space Coast means to Florida and Central Florida specifically is Joe Kelly, news director at 96.5 WDBO, one of our great affiliates. Joe, welcome back. Brian, thank you so much. Bridenstine is great, isn't he? I don't know if he, he's a naval aviator, too. He flies himself, former member of Congress, and it was kind of a weird pick to head NASA, but, but, but by all accounts, he's done an amazing job there. Now, I, geographically, well, I don't know if everybody me, knows. Tell me about today. Yeah, every, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Orlando is about 40 miles west of Cape Canaveral and the Kennedy Space Center, launch pad 39A. This is a, an historic launch pad. This is going to be the first time ever, Brian. There's so many firsts that are going to be set here, one of which is going to be, you know that classic go, no go before launch when the controller asks everybody in their different sections yeah. whether or not they're go for launch? That's always been done by NASA. That's not NASA anymore. SpaceX gets to decide whether or not the rocket launches today. And I just heard thunder in downtown Orlando. And again, 40 miles to Cape Canaveral. We do have bad weather today. Yeah, I I guess it was 50 percent chance. They said about eight in the morning. So see what happens by four o'clock. The president wants to be there. Um, And And we know know that that uh, Tesla... The president and vice president travel in separate planes. They'll travel separately to get here. Uh, and, of course, we've got a giant landing strip out there at the Kennedy Space Center where the shuttle used to land. But my guess would be that the president and the vice president will fly separately to Patrick uh, Air Base. So if it uh, does, in fact, come off, uh, they're going to put two people into space and hook up at the space station. They've done this before with rockets, not with people. It's not like NASA didn't contribute. They put in, like, $3 billion, and they let them use the hangar. And the uh, and the launch pad, right? I spoke with them earlier this morning, and basically the way they described it is this, Brian. They said that NASA is basically buying a service. It's kind of like when we bought a service with the Russians to buy a seat on the Soyuz to get up to the space station, except instead of spending the money with the Russians, we're spending the money with us in America, and it's a whole lot less money than what Russia has been charging us. Yeah, no kidding. So SpaceX wants to do this. In the big picture, they want to go back to the moon. Do you know about the timing? 
Well, a lot of the timing has very much to do with today's launch because this this technically is still a test launch today as this has not been certified. The, the rocket in combination with the Crew Dragon capsule has not been certified until they have at least this one launch in. Uh, so it, it, it all really comes down to today's launch if it happens today. All right, we'll see, uh, we'll see if it happens today. I, uh, from doing a special down there, I know they really want to make a sustaining life on the moon. They don't want to be dependent on Earth. They want to find a way to grow their own food and bring their own food rather than depend on having their own food delivered. That's what they're working on. And then NASA wants to focus on Mars. Is that what you've been hearing? Oh, absolutely so. But uh, of course, as we get into the coronavirus here, there are those who say that it's no longer a priority. But as you alluded, I mean, President Trump has has been very clear in his leadership on this and has has not at all had a problem with spending more money doing it. Lastly, uh, I think something's really important to the country, obviously vitally important to Central Florida is Disney, Universal, SeaWorld. Uh, are people going to be able to go on vacation? A lot of them got their money back. Disney stock's been uh, sucking wind. What can you tell us? I was one of the people who had a vacation scheduled. I was going to take my kids spring break to Universal Orlando Resort, and they closed down before spring break hit, and I got my money refunded to me. But this is such good timing, Brian. I'm so glad we're talking right now. Just 10 minutes ago, I got the official uh, orders on how Disney and SeaWorld and everybody plans to reopen here. And it's going to be phased in. And pretty much the schedule is going to look like this. The Kennedy Space Center Visitors Complex, they're going to open first. And of course, they're not open today, but they're scheduled to open tomorrow, the day after the launch. Uh, and then Legoland, June 1st. Universal is going to be June 5th. SeaWorld Orlando is June 11th. Disney's Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom is July 11th, and Epcot and Hollywood Studios July 15th. So if you're thinking about coming to Central Florida for a vacation this summer, uh, it does look as if the floodgates will be opening. Limited uh, limited entrances? Oh, yeah. So there certain protocols? Most certainly. Just like with Disney Springs, the shopping and entertainment district, which opened last week, and Universal's CityWalk, same for them. It's their shopping and entertainment district. Uh, there are social distancing protocols in place. It is mandatory masks for both guests and all staff, cast members out at Disney and staff out at the SeaWorld parks. Uh, they have not uh, really laid out what the punishment will be for people who don't wear masks, other than they'll just be kicked out of the park. Follow Joe Kelly, if you're not in the Orlando area, at Talk Radio Joe, and he fills in, does a great job for us here. Joe, thanks so much for the information. Hopefully this comes off today uh, for SpaceX and for us. Joe Kelly, thank you, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.